right, guys. I feel so, oh, man. Thank you, Jake. It was a real ambiance. I feel so loved in this moment. Um, and I feel, I feel so loved by you guys, my family, and I feel like really loved by Jesus. I felt like worship was so sweet. Like, did you guys? Oh, man. It was so sweet, you know? Like when Andrina was singing, there are no words, I was like, yep. And I just didn't say anything else because it was just like, oh, you're so sweet right now, you know? Um, And so when I was getting ready to come up here, I was talking to John, and I was like, John, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. And John was like, don't be nervous. Like, you're talking to your family. Just talk to your family and move on. And um, that really blessed me. So uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk today, family, all right? It's going to be really good, hopefully. But Jesus is going to be good either way. All right, so um, we are, you guys know we're in this series on 1 Peter. And we're going to be walking all the way first through 1 Peter. And then I think we're going to go to 2 Peter right after that and keep on going. So um, I have the honor of doing this second installment. Steve did the first one. He kicked off our um, sermon series last week. And so I'll be coming behind him which is no pressure at all. After, y'all, he really just preached my whole sermon, like, during communion. So just receive all that also, you know? (laughs) Because I don't even really have to say anything. He really preached my whole sermon, so just receive the reiteration of these points, okay? All right, so I'm going to do a little recap, and then I'll get into what we are going to talk about for today, because not everybody was here. So um, I forgot my Bible. I know, that's like glad he's gracious. All right. So we know from last week, um, Steve was talking about Peter talking to the church, the Roman church at that point. And they were scattered all over the place in Pontus and Cappadocia and Galatia and Asia Minor. They were where it is Turkey now, but then they didn't have Turkey, so that is where they were at the time. And they'd been scattered all over the place because the Roman Empire was persecuting them. The, the Greeks around them were persecuting them. The Jews really didn't like Christians like that. They've never been like best friends, so they experienced some harassment from them too. So because of that, they'd been scattered all over the place, and they had to go in these like smaller groups of churches. And I know that we cannot relate in any ways with hard circumstances that have made us scattered. Um, We don't know anything about that. So because of that, because of all this persecution, because of all the harassment they've been experiencing, um, Peter's like, let me write my people a letter. Y'all are probably going through a really hard time. And Peter was going through a really hard time too. Steve was saying it last week, like he's gonna be martyred really soon after this, him and Paul. So this is a hard time for everybody, but as a leader, he's like, let me still encourage you. And so last week we talked about um, the encouragement that was from the inheritance that they would receive. He's like, essentially, I'm gonna paraphrase, he's like, look up, like lift your heads because there is a great inheritance that is coming to you. And it's imperishable, it won't fade, it can't be defiled, it can't be destroyed. I know you guys have experienced loss. I know that you've had things that have um, been defiled. I know that some of you have been defiled. I know that things that you've had been stolen or perished or all that kind of stuff. But the inheritance that Jesus is giving you is not going to perish. It's not going to 
fade. It's not going to be defiled. He stored it up. And it's so great that even the Bible says the angels long to look at it. That's what it says at the end of Steve's section from last week. So he's like, just be, be excited to know that this stuff is not for nothing. And he says it in there. I know you guys were tested and it's making your faith genuine. But at the same time, know that this inheritance is yours in Christ Jesus. And he's preserved it for you. Does that make sense? All right, so that was the background of what happened. So he said all that to get them to be aware of their inheritance. And he says, since you guys are aware of that, this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to do, okay? And that's where we're going to start today. So let's uh, get right into it. We're going to start First uh, Peter 13. Thank you, Lisa. All right. It says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace that has been brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at, the com- at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believed in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of the perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fall, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. So, uh, as you can tell, that was a long section. And there is so much stuff in here. And I think one of my favorite things about um, the Bible is that uh, right now in this time period, it's free online. And the Bible app is free. And somebody near you has a Bible. So, there is no way I'm going to be able to preach all of this stuff. But you can go back and read it because of all the free resources I just named, okay? Go back because, man, every time I read this, the Lord is like, hey, did you see this? Did you see this? What about this? It's too many. What about this? I can't possibly in this 30 minutes, okay? But you can eternally just commune with the word. Um, So I hope this is a jumping off point for us that he can just keep talking to us, all right? However, some of the points that I want to highlight I recently have been going through Empower, and some of us have been going through Empower together, and some of us have already gone through it. And there was this lady um, whose name I can't remember right now. 
that's sad. But she was teaching Old Testament. And she was like, this is how you should study the Bible. And she was explaining um, one way to study the Bible is to look for themes that come up consistently, like words that come up over and over. Like, for example, in Genesis 1, he says, and it was good. And I made this thing, and it was good. And I made this thing, and it was good. And I made these other things, and it was good. So the common theme, it was good. Okay? So here, that's how I'm going to break down some of these things by highlighting some of the common themes. The first one, um, if you'll go to the next slide. The first one comes up in 1 Peter 1 and 16. It says, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is so exciting to me because he's writing to these Gentile believers. These are people, Christianity has only been 60 years old at this point. Everybody is new to this thing. They don't really have like lineages of faith to come from. This stuff is so brand new for them. And so he's writing to these Gentiles who are being persecuted, who are being pressed on every side. The Jews are like, you're not even like really a part of our family. Like you guys are some other outcast child situation. And he's writing to them saying, be holy for I am holy. Um, This specific part is in quotations um, because, get off me. It is a reference to um, Leviticus 11, okay? Okay. So I'm going to tell you what happened in Leviticus 11 because this is really exciting. All right, so in Leviticus 11, you know Leviticus is like the book that has all the laws, right? Leviticus 11 is, it also says consecrate yourselves. I think that might be on the next slide maybe. Nope, it doesn't. All right, go back. Um, it says consecrate yourselves um, so that you can be holy because I am holy. And then he goes on to list all the things that will make them ceremonially unclean. So he's like, don't eat, um, if you're going to eat things that swim, don't eat things that don't have both fins and scales. Everything else will make you unclean. He's like, don't eat animals that don't chew, cud, and have evenly split hoods. It's like really specific rules about what's going to make you defiled and undefiled. And he's telling them that because he's holy, right? And he lives, uh, well, he doesn't live, but he was residing in the holies of holies. And if they were to come in there being defiled, they would die. And so he was like, I don't really want that for you, so let me tell you all the ways that you will defile yourself. And Leviticus has all of those in there, a lot more than just this one um, explanation. So it talks about, like, if you're touching bodily fluids, you're defiled. You need to make yourself clean before you come into my presence. If you are, if you've been around dead people, if you've been touching dead people, if you've touched animals that touch dead people, like vultures or things like that, that will make you defiled. Make sure you clean yourself before you come into my presence. There were all of these things that would make people defiled, and he was trying to let them know so that they wouldn't die when they came to see him. Because he did want them to come see him, but it sucks if they die when you get a visitor. That's not good hospitality. So he was trying to keep them from experiencing that. Um, And he's telling them to be holy. So, man, they're going through all these washing rituals and cleaning rituals and keeping track of all this stuff to make sure that they are keeping this standard and that when they come into the holies of holies, they won't die. People weren't so good at that, as you can tell through all the scriptures. They didn't keep this very well. They tried, but people, they used to tie a rope around the people when they go into the holies of holies because people would die and they had to drag them out. So people weren't that good at this, this law, even though he tried to tell them that this is what it is. Um, and so the exciting part about Peter writing this to these people 
um, is because this is something totally different than that. Even though it's a reference to what God was saying in Leviticus, this is something totally different. All right, so in every other time period, if you touch something that defiles you, you become defiled, and then if you go in the presence, you will die, right? Can you go to the next um, slide? However, and I got some of this from the Bible Project. If you watch their videos, they're so good. They, this blew my mind. They were saying Jesus is the only exception to how this worked. So the best illustration of this is the story of Jairus and his dead daughter and the woman with the issue of blood, right? So Jesus, Jairus comes to Jesus and is like, hey, my little girl is dead. Can you please, she's dying, she's sick. Can you please come and like heal her? And he's like, sure, I'm coming. So he's walking with Jairus. And as he's walking, you guys know this story. Some of you guys. As he's walking, the woman comes and she touches his garment, right? And she gets healed instantly. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And all of a sudden, she's not bleeding anymore. And then he goes to Jairus and he takes this girl by the hands and is like, get up. He's so gentle. With all this power, he's like, get up. You're all right. He didn't say that exactly, but you know what I mean. Get up. You're all right. And she gets up and, like, just walks around and is totally fine. Everybody is surprised. I would have been surprised. Jesus is totally fine. And so this is amazing because in every other instance, if you touch something that would make you defiled, you would become defiled, and when you come into what's holy, you would die. Jesus was touched by something that was defiled, right? This woman who's bleeding, who has this fluid going on, which will make you defiled, and this dead little girl. But instead of him becoming defiled, she gets healed. And this other girl gets out of the grave. That is exciting because when Peter is saying this to these people, be holy from I am holy, it's that transfer of power that he's talking about. He's not talking about behavior like it was in Leviticus, He's not talking about consecrate yourselves, do the watching rituals, be aware of what you eat, be aware of where you go, be aware of who you talk. He is not talking about conduct. He is saying that there is a new power that has gone out from me into you, and it has taken, it's taken your defilement, and it's made you holy. Now you are holy because my power went out from you, and it's evidence because the girl stopped bleeding immediately. And the girl got up off, off death immediately. It's evidence. I don't know how you get off death, but you, you get it. All right? And so that's what he's saying to them. First, he encourages them of this, their inheritance. Then he says to you, be holy, for I am holy. He is not saying do holy. He's saying take up the holiness that's been conferred to you. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man, that's exciting. That's so exciting. Man, that's exciting. Because... Otherwise, you can go to the next slide. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do this. If you hadn't conferred your power onto me to be holy, I would have died in the holies of holies. You would have dragged me out with this, with this ritual thing. You know, one of the things you couldn't eat was shellfish. I love crab and lobster. On Christmas, that would have been the day. I'd have been defiled. And then no more Jesus, you know. But, man, I get to eat shrimp. And be holy. It's so, so good. So good. <laughs> so good. I don't know why I'm so excited about shrimp. So that's the first point. If you go to the next slide. That is the first point. You are holy like God because of the work that he did. And is that the gospel? I did the work. You get to get all the benefits. He's like the best investor ever. Oh, man. I'm going to invest in your company and I'm going to do all the work for your company. <laughs> yes, please. Please come invest in me, God. 
You know, so that's the first point I wanted to um, highlight from this. You are holy like God. The next one. Um, this one comes from First um, Peter 1 and 18. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. All right. So in this little chapter, verses 1 all the way through chapter 2, um, verse 3, he mentions perishable and imperishable things five times. That's a lot of times to say the exact same thing in one chapter. I mean, same wording, same all of that. You remember before when I was saying, um, look for common themes. It's good. I think it's good. I think it's good. Well, here, clearly imperishable is a common theme. I'll read some of them to you. In verse 3, or verse 4, okay, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, it says, knowing that you were, we just read that one, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishing things, such as silver and gold, but with imperishable. And then he goes on in verse 23 to make another, you have been born again of an imperishable seed. That is the living, abiding word of God. And then he gives an example of things that perishes. The flowers fade, the grass fades, but the word of God lasts forever. Clearly, he wants us to get something from this perishable, imperishable thing. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said it four times and given an, uh, an example. So what is he trying to get us to understand from this? Well, I don't fully know, but what I think he trying to say um, one is that Steve said it earlier, this inheritance that he's given us was not cheap. It did not come from cheap things like silver and gold. And he says cheap things like silver and gold, which is the most expensive thing that we could buy. You know, like my, when my husband came to propose to me, he proposed to me with rose gold and I accepted it because it was valuable and cute. So I was like, yes, I'll take this. If he proposed to me with one of those like rings you can get out of the bubblegum machine, I might have said no. I don't know. But he, he came correctly. And so I was like, yes, I would love to have this. But he's like, that is cheap and imperishable compared to what I'm about, to what I'm giving you and to what I've given you in my salvation. That stuff is cheap. Our whole dollar is based, it used to be based on the gold standard, then it moved to the silver standard, right? All our money is based in America, our paper dollars are based on this gold and silver standard. All of that stuff is cheap compared to what I'm giving you. That's what he's, that's what he's saying in this. So what, what has he given us? Well, he's given us that inheritance that he was talking about earlier in the beginning. It is the full glory of the kingdom of God. That's what he's given us. That's our inheritance that we have received. And the Bible says, um, 
he says this, it says this light momentary affliction does not compare to the eternal weight of glory. So with all those five things, he's saying, I bought you. He says that the one we see, uh, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but with imperishable things. I bought you with the most expensive currency that can exist. And I bought you from your former master, who was Satan. Don't get it twisted. You will only serve one master. So you were owned by sin and Satan. Even if you don't know it, that don't mean that you're not owned. But I bought you from him at the highest possible price my whole life. And then I got it from the grave. But I bought you <laughs> with my whole life, right? Then he says, I have given you an imperishable seed, which means not only did I buy you with my life, the imperishable, but I have put my imperishable Holy Spirit inside you. So now your spirit and that spirit are one spirit. So what does that make you eternal and perishable, just like the one that gave you this spirit, right? So then he's saying, I bought you with imperishable. I gave you my imperishable, and I'm giving you my imperishable inheritance. I'm giving you the ability to receive my full glory. So he's talking about your in, in uh, the earlier chapters in verse 7, in the earlier verses, verse 7, he's saying your faith is being tested so that it can prove to be more precious than gold because we access all this stuff by faith. It's by faith that we believe and are able to put on our inheritance. It's by faith that we're able to even get in this kingdom. We believe that he died for us. We believe he really wanted us. We said yes to his proposal. That's how we got into this kingdom. And it's that that's going to allow us to access this inheritance. So he is saying to us, put on this imperishable. Because I died and I did all this stuff to give it to you. Put it on. So that's the next point. Put it on. You are a citizen of the imperishable kingdom. You're not from here. You are exiles just like these people. You live in America, but your kingdom is imperishable. And your king has not fallen off his throne. He is not shaken. He has never lost. When we were, when Jake was singing um, something, I don't know what you're singing. I was lost over here. I had this like white flag and I was waving it around because I was thinking about Isaiah 6 where it says the um, train of the Lord's robe filled the temple and the glory was filling the temple and the angels cried, holy, holy, holy are you God who was and is and is. He's, they're crying out, right? And I'm thinking, Lord, the train of your robe is filling the room because the train of your robe comes from every battle that you've won. Back in the day, kings used to, um, when they would take over a kingdom, they would take the robe of the king that they defeated and tie it onto their robe so their robe would be longer. So when it says the train of his robe filled the temple, this is because I've defeated every single king and I've never lost. All of them. And it's so much, it's just got to go like wrap around the temple, you know, and the, the angels are just like, whoo, holy, you know, like walking around while he's there. And then Isaiah sees this and is like, oh, woe is me. Like, I see you've never lost. Your glory is here. The angels are declaring you're holy. I'm defiled. I'm a man of unclean lips. I've been defiled. And what does he do? He comes and he makes them holy. He touches that thing to his mouth, and Isaiah becomes holy. And that was just a foretaste of what is fully received in us in Jesus. 
Isaiah got a piece of it. And that's what the scripture says in, in Hebrews 11 and here in 1 Peter, that the prophets kept asking, when is this coming? Who is going to, what time, when are we going to get this? Isaiah was one of those prophets. He just got a foretaste and a vision. We have the whole inheritance in Jesus. We don't got a piece of this. That's such bad grammar. We don't have a piece of this. We have the whole inheritance in Jesus. All right? So the last one, and then I'll be done. The last one, 1 Peter 2 and 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure and spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. I might be a little bit foggy on this, but have you guys seen the Princess Diaries? It's real old. Not really? Okay. Just pretend like you have so I can keep going my example. All right, so the Princess Diaries, I think, is about this girl uh, played by Anne Hathaway who was a regular, degular, schmegular girl in a little high school, and she was getting bullied, and she just did not have a great life. And then they were like, no, actually, some people just randomly came and was like, hey, actually, you are the princess of Genovia? Thank you, thank you, uh, one person, all right. The princess of Genovia. And she's like, no, I'm a high schooler, I can't be a princess. And they're like, no, you are. And so then they bring her in and they start like teaching her about like all the standards that come from being a princess, right? And for her, some of those things were like behavioral and she didn't really feel like a princess. But the, the truth for her was she didn't know that she was royalty. That didn't change anything about it, she was royalty. Even though she didn't know when she was getting bullied, when she was getting pushed in lockers, she was royalty, but she didn't know it. And so then they came and they said, hey, this is actually your real identity. You actually are royalty. You're not a little high school girl getting pushed into lockers. You are the princess of Genovia, who will soon be the queen of Genovia as stuff comes on. So come on, let me teach you how to live up to who you actually are. That's us. Drink your milk. Yes, Diane. Drink your milk. Let me teach you how to live into who you actually are. The God is saying, my spirit made you holy. It made you like me, but your soul, John Weber talked about this earlier in the, your, in the year, your soul, your spirit, your body. Your soul still doesn't know. It still thinks it's a little girl getting poked, uh, what is it? pushed into lockers. You know, it still believes the things that was told to it from its former master, Satan, and sin from the kingdom of darkness that have fed you all of these untruths about who you are. Your spirit is made new, but your soul still remembers what happened to it beforehand. That doesn't make you any less of royalty. And Devontae's going to preach next week. That's going to be exciting. But he's going to preach about that. You are a royal priesthood. That's what comes right next after that. But the people don't get it, and he's trying to let them see this is how this is working. So next time he can come to them and say, so you are a royal priesthood. So he's saying, here is how you can live into the salvation that is fully yours in Christ Jesus. Here's how you can live at the level of your identity and not beneath it like your former master would have had you to do. He gives some, like, really simple, clear ways for us to live into our identity, the biggest one that he gives is to love your neighbor. I feel like if I made a whole race of people, the first thing I would say probably wouldn't be love your neighbor. 
I don't know what my first thing would say would be, but it probably wouldn't be love your neighbor. It might be, I don't know, go build me something cool. It might be go do something significant with your life. But his first mandate with these people is to love each other. Is there another slide? No? Nope. All right. Well, go back. Um, at the end, it says, so put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Why is he saying that? I was on Facebook recently because I do that with my time. And I was scrolling, and I saw this post, and a girl posted in a group, what do you think keeps people from coming to Jesus? Um, and she said, non-believers, please post too. I feel like people who are non-believers probably wouldn't want to be called non-believers. I think they would just want to be called, like, people or Christians, but nevertheless, or non-Christians. But that's what she wrote. So she said, uh, what keeps people from coming to Jesus? And people were like, it's the church. The church keeps people from coming to Jesus. We're, hypo we're hypocritical. We are not nice to people. We have a whole bunch of rules. We're religious. We're fake. It's the church. And then other people were like, well, um, it's people. They don't want to come. We don't want them. I was like, all right, well, I don't feel like that. But, you know, you posted on Facebook. That's your business. Um, so I pondered through that question. And, you know, I think my response is so much better than everybody else's because I said it. But. That's not true. But I posted, I was like, at the end of the day, it's Satan and sin that keeps people from coming to Jesus. And it manifests itself through whatever means it can. So it'll manifest itself through stuff outside the church, and it'll manifest itself through stuff inside the church. The people in the church can choose the ways of their former master and be hypocritical and can be envious, deceitful, slanderous, just like the people outside the church can choose the ways of their current master and be in, uh, envious, deceitful, slanderous. What's the other one? Another word that's not good? We can all be that easily, you know, because the, the kingdom of darkness is still here. And until Jesus comes back and fix this whole thing, it is still trying to take over. It will lose in the end, but if we don't know that, we'll lose with it. But if we do know, you know, we'll be able to stand on the, f the other side like, you lost. You shouldn't have tried us. So that question came up, why do people not follow Jesus? And I said it was sin and Satan. It was the kingdom of darkness. And that made me realize why he would say, love your neighbor. Because that is like one of the purest evidences that the kingdom of God has come into your life. He's writing to a people who are oppressed on every side by all kind of groups who do not like them. They do not want them to be alive. This is not like I sent a nasty email to our supervisor about you. This is like I martyred your neighbor. You know, these people who he's writing to are not in a soft uh, conflict with their neighbors. This is hard. So if he's writing to them, love these people, that is clear evidence that the kingdom of God has come in you. The holiness of God has come in you and allowed you to do what you could not do by yourself. What you could not do lest the spirit of God makes that alive in you. And that's not them. That's not just the people in First Peter, the church in Cappadocia and Galatia. That's us. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to love our neighbor or our enemy, not just our neighbor, but our enemy. 
not just the people who like us, because the Bible says even wicked people can do that, but the people who voted differently than we did. But the people who feel differently about all these polarizing issues, the people who want to be ignorant, the people who don't want to be, whatever side you fall in this, those are the people that you are commanded to love, but you're not commanded with just like a harsh authoritarian do this. You're commanded because my spirit has made you be able to do this. It transforms you so that you can do this. I saw this evidence in my own life this morning. I was so nervous about coming to preach, and I didn't know what I was going to say and all this stuff. And Devontae prayed for me, and he was just like, Kiara, I just think the Lord just wants to give you his love. Can he just give you his love in this moment? It's, he just loves you, and he's not looking for anything from you. He's not looking for any performances from you. Like, he's love you. He loves you. He's gracious towards you. He's God. He knows you. You are human. Like, just receive his love. And I did, and I started crying in the car. And meanwhile, you guys, some of my friends over here. Meanwhile, um, I told them, I'm coming to get you at 940. You need to be ready at 940. If you late, you late. You know, I had told them that before. I had this crying moment because I'm not trying to be late. Because <laughs> y'all know I'm so punctual. Um, maybe some of you guys think I'm punctual. No, I'm not. But I, maybe the Lord will empower me to be punctual. Okay, anyways. So I'm sitting in the car. I'm waiting for them to come outside, and I'm sitting in the car, like, crying because the Lord is meeting me with his love in this moment that doesn't want anything from me. Meanwhile, all my friends come running out, doing hair, putting on lipstick, hat, I mean, all this stuff, like, running to the car, you know. And so they get in the car, and they're just like, I'm sorry, I was trying to get ready, you know. And I'm like, man, I see how much you guys wanted to honor what I told you, and I'm so grateful that you guys did all this to come be on time, doing hair in the car. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I know they expected to be like, to hear, why are you late? I told you 940, and it's 945. Why are you not here? I know they expected to hear that. But the love of God had just hit me and told me that I didn't have to perform. It told me that I didn't have to live up to some crazy standard. I'd just been um, in contact with the grace of God. And because of that, I just gave it away immediately. Like, oh, thank you. Like, you're good. And that's this. That's what he's saying to us. Love your neighbor by the spirit of God. And the other one is obey by the spirit of God. This one can't be understated. Obey Jesus. Put off your former self. The woman who had the issue of blood, she was bleeding for a long time. But then when she stopped bleeding, it was up to her to take off these clothes from her former life. You know what I'm saying? She had this stuff on. I'm sure she had clothes on that would help her walk from day to day with all this bleeding going on. But once she was healed, it's her responsibility to take off this clothes, this, this outfit. Same thing with Lazarus. When he came out of the grave, they were like, take the grave clothes off of him. Unwrap him because he's alive now. And that's our responsibility. Jesus will do it in us, but we have to partner with him in that. When he's saying, hey, daughter, hey, son, this is grave clothes. This is old stuff. Take that off. That doesn't fit you anymore. You're the king. You're the queen. Like, take that off. Then you have to obey him. Otherwise, you're living below your identity, and you're living into your former master, and you've been redeemed from that, bought at the highest price. It's beneath you. So take it off. And that sounds easy until he asks for something that you really want or he asks for something that's really got a hold on you. And that's where you need the spirit of God to be like, my strength is perfect in your weakness. I will help you take off this outfit.
and he'll do it. But we have to say yes to him in that. So that's, that's the last point I have. You can go to the last slide. Walk fully in the salvation you've been given. He's giving you the imperishable. You guys can play if you want. He's giving you his Holy Spirit. He's giving you access to the fullness of God bodily. Live into your salvation. Don't live beneath yourself. You're more than that. We're more than that. Yeah. Amen? Amen.